Hi, this is Jeff Cooper, and we welcome you to another Disney at Play and kind of a Disney at Work podcast as well. There's some good messages from both sides of the coin, so to speak. This week, Disney announced that Splash Mountain at both Disneyland and Magic Kingdom in Walt Disney World would be rethemed to the film Princess and the Frog. This uh, podcast and the attending post tries to dig a little deeper at this announcement. It's context, what it means moving forward. We're going to look at it from, well, from a diversity point of view, but we're also going to look at it from an Imagineering point of view, and we'll play a little bit of armchair Imagineering, I suppose. I'm your host, J. Jeff Kober, and you can uh, find our notes page at DisneyAtWork.com. You're going to definitely want to check it out because there's some important links, images, and uh, quotations that we have from this, uh, this podcast. So be sure to, to visit both. Let me start with Disney's announcement. By the way, actually, I need to stop, start before that. A couple of things. First of all, this has been an ongoing conversation for about a week, week and a half. And last week, I did an earlier conversation about this as part of a Disney News on Parade in which I said, hey, there's this petition out there and it's gathered a number of votes. I don't think Disney's going to pay attention to it. Um, I don't think Disney pays attention to to those kinds of things. Um, plus, Disney doesn't have the money to make that change. And then I went into a whole conversation about the need for Disney to be agile and to really um, do some immediate things to show that focus on on uh, Tiana and and bring that storybook character to life now, not later on down the road. In fact, I suggested that the riverboat um, experience that they had when the film first opened be added to it. That's interesting because this week in a Disney News on Parade, I shared with everyone um, some what are being referred to as Disney uh, cavalcades where they're coming through the park. They don't want everybody to line up and wait for it. They're kind of coming in by surprise. And there's a number of them, including a princess one. But again, I keep looking at this and going, this is the very thing Disney needs to do. They need to resurrect that little show they had on the Liberty Bell and bring it around. They could do it at Disneyland as well. But they haven't announced that. They have, however, gone out big time and announced how Splash Mountain is going to be Redone. Now, um, I also should say that um, my last podcast was when Disneyland announced that it was going to reverse its opening plan of opening on July 17th, the 65th of Disneyland, and they were going to wait a little longer. They kind of put aim toward uh, the state of California for not having given them the directions, guidelines. Um, but the truth of it is, is that they were not having union support. And I don't think that Governor Newsom was really going to approve Disneyland reopening if it didn't have union support. So, so that happened. And when I got that news, I went out and immediately did a podcast, the first podcast out the gate that went into the details of that. The next evening, out comes this announcement, splashes out, Tiana is in, and I immediately thought, I've got to do another podcast. 
But then I decided I needed to think about this a little bit more. I'd been out the gate the week before. I'd been out the gate with the Disneyland announcement, but I wanted to think this over just a little bit more. So as we dig into this podcast, I hope you'll see that I'm trying to put some thought and reflection as to what is happening and how we ought to consider and frame this. Let's now go to Disney's announcement, which they made. Quote, today we are thrilled to share a first glimpse of a project Imagineers have been working on since last year's. All right, stop. Uh, It is right now um, the middle of June or towards the end of June, okay? They have been working on this since last year, but nothing was announced at D23 about it. We, mind you, we had a lot of announcements come out at D23 last August, but this one wasn't in the mix. It wasn't in the mix, in my opinion, because it didn't have a green light. There are many attractions that are thought through or that people kind of work on when they don't have another project to work on, then they leave it behind, they go work on something else, and they come back to it later. That is the nature of Imagineering. I don't think, I do think they have been working on it for the last year, but I don't think that they have been working actively on it. I don't get that impression looking at the image of the attraction, which does not show show scenes. It is largely an it is a setup picture for the ride. It might as well be um, poster art of the ride as opposed to show art that Imagineers typically build during this during such a phase as to exhibit what the ride would actually look like. How would we take the showboat scene at the end and redo that, for instance? We don't have those images. We have this one image which basically shows a an evolved splash mountain with a big uh, tree at the at the top of it, um, um, and then um, we have Princess Tiana and Louis in the foreground, and it's a beautiful image. It's a nicely done image, but it is not the kind of image Imagineers use to figure out what this attraction is. It's simply an image Imagineers use to kind of sell people on the concept. I would say that that management has been interested, senior executive leadership has been interested in this concept, but it didn't get greenlit until now. That's a for sure, even though people have been working on it for a year, on and off. Okay, it goes on to say, sorry, we've only... <laughs> We've only done the first sentence of this announcement. Goes on to the second sentence. Splash Mountain at both Disneyland Park in California and Magic Kingdom Park in Florida will soon be completely reimagined. Okay, stop there. Again, we, we we have to unpack all this. Okay, this is going to Disneyland. This is going to Magic Kingdom. I'll talk about this a little bit further. I talked about how it really is kind of a right fit in... California, and I thought it really ought to go there. It didn't seem like a right fit to the Frontierland themes of Florida. I'm going to correct myself a little later on that. But here's the thing that's really missing out of that sentence. Where's Tokyo? There is a third park that has a Splash Mountain, and that is Tokyo Disneyland. 
I'm not certain that the Oriental Land Company, which owns Tokyo Disneyland and which gives the yay or nay, thumbs up or thumbs down as to what is going to be put in their parks, I don't know that they're going to go for this. Their Splash Mountain is already as successful as it can be. And I say as it can be because it is the one attraction which sits in a, in a much colder climate. I mean, there are days in Tokyo where it snows. You're not going to want to go on Splash Mountain during that season. So it, it really, while they were sold on building it in the first place, and by the way, it's really a well-done show professionally, and it's in an amazing little corner which includes this grandma Sarah's kitchen and everything. It's, it's, it's really well thought out as a little critter country there. But um, I don't know that they're going to go for this. I don't think they're going to go for this because an outdoor attraction flume ride really it wasn't a great idea to begin with. And then we have the whole thing do the Japanese, which really do not know Song of the South, not that anybody here in the United States really knows that film, do they really care? So there's a lot to be thought about there. It goes on to say, quote, the theme is inspired by an all-time animated favorite film, uh, animated Disney film, The Princess and the Frog. We pick up this story after the final kiss and join Princess Tiana and Louis on a musical adventure featuring some of the powerful music from the film as they prepare for their first ever Mardi Gras performance. I got to tell you, I love this. I think this is solid. I think it's so much better to play a new story than to just simply repeat the previous one. I hope that we haven't uh, lost our favorite, what is I think my favorite villain, but I do think this is a very smart way to go. It also offers them an opportunity. The If there's a little bit of a challenge with our princess in this film is that she spends most of the time not as a princess, but as a frog. Oh, well, a frog does fit in this former Splash Mountain location, but honestly, people want to see um, Tiana. People want to see that, 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 that this princess. They don't want to see more frog. There could be a frog component, maybe in some uh, some point, um, Facilier uh, changes her to a frog again, you know, but, but do we really want to repeat the plot line? I think what's more interesting is taking it to a new level. Though, again, I don't want to lose Facilier. Goes on to talk about, not the frog, but Tiana, quote, Tiana is a modern, courageous, and empowered woman who pursues her dreams and never loses sight of what's really important. It's a great story with a strong lead character set against the backdrop of New Orleans and the Louisiana and the Louisiana Bayou. Okay, so a couple of thoughts here. This uh, this is a little a little too heavy, but but let's face it, in an era of Me Too movement, we need to say more about modern, courageous, and empowered women not so much about cute little show scenes. So I get that, no problem there. And 
I do agree. It's set against the backdrop of New Orleans and the Louisiana Bayou at Disneyland, not Walt Disney World. Then it goes on to say, in 1966, Walt himself opened New Orleans Square when it became the first new land added to the Disneyland Park. So it feels natural to link the story and the incredible music of the Princess and the Frog to our parks. I, okay, a couple of thoughts there. This reminds me a little about how they reset the Hall of Presidents, which was going to be so controversial, despite what your politics are, it was controversial putting Donald Trump in there. And the way they offset that is they put Walt Disney in into the lobby and they put Walt Disney in at the beginning of the film to say it was Walt's dream to pay homage to the presidents of the United States. And so it's basically a stamp of approval that says, look, Walt wanted this, so you're going to want this too, or you should want it too. It's almost in that kind of sense. I don't have a problem with it, but... But you could see this is where they're going. Quote, the voice of Princess Tiana and a Tony Award winning actress, uh, Anika Noni Rose, shared, quote, it is really exciting to know that Princess Tiana's presence, notice, not the frog, Tiana, in both Disneyland and Magic Kingdom will finally be fully realized. As passionate as I am about what we've created, I know the fans are going to be over the moon. The Imagineers are giving us the Princess and the Frog Mardi Gras celebration that we've been waiting for, and I'm here for it. Now, um, I do believe the fans will be over the moon if, if the animatronic is over the moon. If you look at Belle and the Beast, plan for the um, Beauty and the Beast attraction at Tokyo Disneyland, you see an amazing animatronic princess. Then again, you go to Frozen Ever After at Epcot, and this whole projection thing, which works for something like a Buzz Lightyear, is not working at with Frozen. And so it is. this is an absolute critical time, and I've heard others say this, they're not wanting um, a cheap makeover here. They're wanting something really well done goes on to say, and by the way, again, they've brought in a key individual, uh, a woman who is black, who played the lead role to, again, underscore the importance of this attraction. That's a good thing. Then it goes on to say, quote, the approach to retheming our plus attractions, as Walt Disney referred to it, begins with Imagineers asking the question, how can we build upon or elevate the experience and tell a fresh, relevant story? It's a continuous process that Imagineers are deeply passionate about. And with this long-standing history of updating attractions and adding new magic, the retheming of Splash Mountain is of particular importance today. The new concept is inclusive, one that all our guests can connect with and be inspired by, and it speaks to the diversity of the millions of people who visit our parks each year. Now, it's easy to be cynical here and say, this is all politically correct speak. But honestly, we need more messages that speak to the diversity of the people who come to the Disney parks. And so I buy into this. It doesn't sound a little 
yeah, politically driven here. It does have that aspect of it. When we talk about refreshing attractions, some people immediately go to the Redhead over at Pirates of the Caribbean. Honestly, I think that's not a bad idea. I didn't think that was a bad idea. Curiously, that Redhead hasn't been changed out of Tokyo, but that's another story. Um, notwithstanding, I think sometimes you need to plus, you know, nobody argues with the idea of the plussing. People are just wanting to make sure that you're not plussing to be politically correct. That's people's frustration or concern. But the truth of it is, is part of plussing is about figuring out how to be more inclusive. And by the way, let's go back to one of the original plus attractions in recent years. It's a small world at Disneyland, added a whole bunch of Disney characters to it, and people were all incensed about it until it opened and everybody was fine about it. It was, it's, it's embraced by pretty much everybody. And frankly, I think it ought to be in the Magic Kingdom version. And so let's, uh, let's give it a chance and see what they can do replussing. As long as they spend the right money and do it right, I think it's gonna be great. Goes on to share a quote, quote, Sherita Carter, the senior creative producer leading the project at Walt Disney Imagineering shared, quote, like Princess Tiana, I believe that courage and love are the key ingredients for wonderful adventures. I am delighted to be a part of bringing this fun-filled experience to our guests, end of quote. And by the way, well, um, there is also another quote, which isn't in the, um, isn't in the text, but another quote, who is from Carmen Smith, who is Creative Development and Inclusive Strategies Executive of Walt Disney Imagineering. It says, we continually evaluate opportunities to enhance and elevate experiences for our guests. It's important that our guests be able to see themselves in the experiences we create. Because we consider ourselves constant learners, we go to great lengths to research and engage cultural advisors and other experts to help guide us along the way. I am incredibly proud to see this work continue to move forward with great support from the leadership across Disney. You know what? I like the idea that we are constant learners. I'm going to come back to that theme at the end. And I don't think that means just the Imagineering team. I think that's about all of us. And I love this quote by Carmen. She too um, is African-American, as is Sharita. We need to see more of that diversity within all of Disney. I spoke to that in the previous podcast. In fact, I was emphatic about the fact that we're putting emphasis on attraction when we should be putting emphasis on more diversity throughout the executive leadership of the organization. I'm glad that we have people like this in these roles. We need more of that moving forward. It finally says, as part of the creative development process, conceptual design work is well underway and Imagineers will soon be able to conduct preliminary reviews and develop a timeline for when the transformation can start to take shape. Stay tuned for more. Okay, let's unpack that final paragraph. As part of the creative development process, conceptual design work is well underway uh, after a year. It ought, to be, it ought to be pretty well wrapped up and moving on to um, implementation. 
But the fact of the matter is, Disney saw this probably a year ago. Somebody worked on it a year ago and maybe off and on over the last year. But it has been the recent events of of uh, the Make Black Lives Matter movement that has caused Disney to stop and say, okay, we really do need to do something here. And the answer to that is Princess and the Frog is taking over Splash Mountain. I don't have a problem with this new change to this attraction. I, I embrace it. I think it's a great idea. I'll talk about my thematic concerns in a few minutes, but I like this. My problem is, is you had to wait until everybody took to the streets to say we ought to do this. That's the problem. Going back to last week's podcast, I should put a link on there, onto, onto the notes page to that one. But that's my problem with, with this. If we had a more diverse executive leadership we would have been making decisions like this a year ago, not now. And so now we look like we're kind of being reactive instead of proactive. And it's time for Disney to be more proactive, more agile, more anticipatory. That's what we need. I applaud Disney for doing everything they're doing. I just wish you'd, you'd be ahead of the curve on things like this rather than behind the curve. Um, it's because of that, it's because of that, and beca because I feel like they're really, and, and by the way, let me just say one more thing. This announcement came out when? Out of the blue, not at some event that was coming up, not at a D23 announcement event or something, which they had last August to do. This announcement comes up when? Yeah, in the weeks after the protests? Yes. But even then, it didn't come out. When did it come out? It came out the day after Disneyland had to announce that it was going to have to push back its reopening phase. The truth of it is, as I've mentioned in the previous podcast, Disney currently has some union issues, particularly out in California. They need to address that. And by masking over that, by putting something else in front of everybody, rather than having um, the public focus on what cast members are thinking and why they have hesitation about reopening Disneyland, what do you do? You throw out a big announcement like this. I, again, applaud the announcement. But when you do it in that kind of timing, it starts to make some people a little cynical. Now that's mine to fix. I gotta stop being cynical. If you didn't, and, and, and I hope you're figuring out by now, I am by no means a Disney apologist. I'm very willing to call a spade a spade when it is not, uh, it's not working right. And that to me, the timing of this makes me a little skeptical. And when I'm, I'm seeing this happen a year after somebody had been thinking of it, after it is, um, after the protests, and and almost as a cover to to the problems that Disneyland is having with its unions, 
it it's hard not to be just a little bit cynical on this and wonder does disney do diversity well and that is the question that made me pause and not come out of the gate right away with this podcast i really needed to reflect on that for instance we quote in this and by the way it's disappointing to me because disney produced several images in their blog post including these quotes from anika um, and Sharita and Carmen and I and and what do I see in t- on the Twitter feeds? I don't see any of those quotations. All I see is a picture of what the new Splash Mountain is. Well, you know everybody's kind of curious about what that is, but at the same time, these are the important messages, not the theming. And so I'm bummed out a little bit about that. I am glad that we have a little more representation in Imagineering. If you go to the Imagineering. S- series which i love so much and you go to number six you see a segment on shanghai disney and they interview doris edward who's a senior creative director her father was european but her mom was full chinese and so she brings a kind of a mix of east and west and and of course the whole series is narrated by the unbelievable angela bassett and all that is good but you've gone six episodes seeing a lot of, I'm sorry, white guys who, by the way, their work has been stupendous, but it did reflect a lack of diversity. Yes, some women, and that was fantastic too, but you just kind of take a step back and go, does Disney do diversity well? Well, in truth, there are a lot of things Disney does great uh, in terms of diversity and in fact um disney has been lauded as being pretty um pretty amazing in terms i mean for the 14th consecutive year the walt disney company has earned a perfect score of 100 on the 2020 corporate equality index cei um this uh survey which comes from the human rights campaign um measures corporate policies and practices related to lgbtq workplace equality and and they give them a hundred percent rating they are at the top in terms of this so there is some really good things and and it comes there's a lot of really good things they're doing from a diversity point of view i list these in the show notes and i encourage you to see them uh in the wake of the killing of george floyd the company pledged $5 million, which honestly, it doesn't have much money of anything right now, given the fact that it's closed up shop over the last four months. But, um, but they did, gave $5 million out to a nonprofit organizations that advance social justice, uh, beginning with a $2 million donation to um, NAACP and, um, and then um, sharing with some others. Disney launched, I don't know if you've seen some of this, Disney Launch Launchpad. It's a shorts incubator, which gives uh, new opportunities for filmmakers to share diverse perspectives. So basically, opportunities for those who haven't had them, who have been marginalized by society, who haven't had chance that others have had in the workplace, they launched this, this series. And there's some some great things happening there. Through the Disney's Heroes Work Here initiative, 
The company has hired more than 10,000 veterans since 2012. Uh, Business employee resource groups are organized throughout Disney to cultivate an inclusive culture for all Disney employees around the world. Um, in 2019, some 2,000 employees participated in LGBTQ pride events in LA, Long Beach, San Francisco, Orlando, New York, London, Dublin, Paris, and Munich. Uh, Munich. So they're doing a whole lot of things there. And then one thing I think is very cool Disney recently held a workshop for Native American students and community members in Minneapolis. The class, which was led by the Television Creative Talent Development Inclusion Team, was hosted in partnership with the American Indian College Fund to pull back the curtain on careers in TV and film. I love these projects. These are the kinds of things we need to better give people an opportunity to, to share their um, their life experiences and their cultures and their perspectives. So, you know what? I can't imagine anybody has a problem with these kinds of things. They're positive, uplifting things. And to that end, I have to say, yeah, on many levels, Disney does diversity well. Are there some places that they're missing? Yeah, I've named them. I'm not going to be more critical about them here. But when you have, when at the end of the day, you have to say, there's a lot of good things that Disney does in terms of diversity and inclusion. Now, what about typical guys like you and me who are just Disney fans? Because there are, there's a big cry from people who say, okay, I get it. Um, it's great. I like Princess and the Frog. I can even see how it could be adjacent to New Orleans Square and Disneyland. That makes all sorts of sense. But out in the middle of Frontierland at the Magic Kingdom, that just doesn't make any sense to put that kind of, that kind of uh, look and feel in the middle of it. Well, let's go back through a little bit of history first. Let's talk about Disneyland first since it came first. Originally, this section of the park where Splash Mountain was, was actually an Indian village with area tribes that were invited to come and perform their dances and share their culture. What today is the briar patch, that's that little cabin with the grass on top of the roof, actually that used to be called the Indian Trading Post. And there you could go and purchase Indian arts and crafts like turquoise, jewelry, and leather belts. Uh, the only attraction back then was the Indian War Canoes, which sounds a little politically incorrect today. And, uh, and frankly, the restrooms were titled Braves and Squaws. So, yeah, no, no, that, uh, that doesn't sound quite right today. But in all fairness, it was a well-intentioned exhibition, kind of almost in a world showcase style of understanding others, of showcasing Native... Um, uh, cultures and so forth. In fact, um, native, native dances were performed regularly uh, in front of crowds and the audience was invited to join in what was called the circle dance at the end where they all held hands. I mean, talk about your kumbaya moment. There was great stuff happening from a diversity point of view in the early days. Uh, it may have had its edges to it, but, but the intention really actually was pretty good back then. Still, as exciting new attractions in New Orleans, 
uh, like pirates, like the Haunted Mansion, began to encroach nearby, it no longer seemed a right fit. I mean, in fact, frankly, people stopped going to that end because they stopped to these new, huge e-ticket attractions and they completely forgot the Indian Village. Meanwhile, out at Magic Kingdom, when Walt Disney World opened in 1971, this thing called the Country Bear Jamboree became a wild success. Now, I've talked about it in other places, but the reality it was is back then there was no Thunder Mountain and no Splash Mountain. There wasn't anything else but the train station. So right there at, at, um, at uh, in Frontierland, that was the big attraction, was the Country Bear Jamboree. And there was a big line and went because there was only one theater. And, and, and seeing that big line, everybody thought, well, that's a new ticket according to this uh, ticket book. So it must be pretty good. Everybody's standing in line. So they all got in line. And then it was a longer line. And it became very, very popular. Um, so they thought, hey, this thing's really taken off in Walt Disney World. We got to put it over in, in, in uh, Disneyland. If we put it in where that Indian village was, maybe we'll attract a bigger, stronger group of people. And it'll take away from some of these long lines going to Haunted Mansion Pirates of the Caribbean. This is the thinking back in the early 1970s. So they built not one, but two theaters for the, in, for the Country Bear Jamboree. And they gave them a whole land that whole indian war canoe thing that became davy crockett's canoes um they they kind of created a northwest woods aesthetic it had clapboard style architecture as bookends to the front and back of the land so you had the hungry bear restaurant which is still there today and then in the back you had mile long bar and teddy bear swinging arcade i know that just sounds like a weird title but it was basically a game room a video arcade, not, well, I wouldn't say video arcades because video arcades hadn't been invented, but pinball, yeah, pinball, that was working back then. And so that's became bear country. Uh, the only thing Southern about this location was when Wendell sang the Fractured Folk song, uh, he did it in front of the backdrop of a Confederate bear statue. And you know, if you recall, uh, the Country Bear Jamboree had Wendell singing two songs. When they redid the Magic Kingdom version at Walt Disney World, the the sensibility, at least according to what Imagineers said, was, well, today's millennials, they don't want to sit that long through a show like that, so we kind of cut out a few things. And one of Wendell's songs went, well, Wendell's song was sung in front of this, again, this, a picture of a confederate bear i guess they could have replaced the poster i always thought why did why did they get rid of that song well here's a fractured folk song written by two birds um when they kept um uh mama uh don't whoop little buford and you had a picture of this dog who'd gotten in the hen house now uh, apparently the story the song is not about the dog and the dog's name is apparently not Buford but for all intents and purposes you stare at that thing and you think that the intent here is let's not whop little Buford let's shoot him instead <laughs> that's the that's the joke you get out of seeing this whether or not that was intended and we'll talk a little bit about um uh dog abuse a little later on uh, that that's a whole nice story but we'll come back to that in a few minutes I grew up with bear country. I liked it a lot. 
I actually grew up in the era of the Indian Village, but honestly, we stopped at Pirates and Haunted Mansion. I never did get to see that Indian Village as a little child, but I did see Bear Country. I love Bear Country. It felt like it was just its own little oasis in the back of the park. I love the hamburgers, which was the first time I ever had Canadian bacon on a burger that tasted really great. And they had chocolate shakes and the fries and oh, it was great back there. And I loved it. But along came this idea of a flume ride. Dick Nunes wanted a flume ride for a long time. Knott's Berry Farm had a flume ride. The stories told of Tony Baxter sitting in uh, freeway traffic um, one day and thinking what to do with the expired America Sings attraction and all of the over 100 animatronic animals that were in this and what to do about this uh, interest in doing a flume ride and together two ideas came uh, creatively together and out of it came Splash Mountain. Now, let me just say that the first time I ever heard about Splash Mountain was when I was living in Utah. Mind you, we had no social media back there. And this is the about 1984. And the, the attraction went in in 89, as I recall. And they did, to promote the parks, they would go and do this exhibition that would take... Um, images and models of new attractions to come and they would parade them in cities and towns. I had actually seen the original model to Epcot or one of the original models to Epcot uh, when I lived there in, um, in Utah going to school at the time. Um, but this particular exhibit, this, that particular year, I went into Salt Lake to see it and there they had models and drawings and images of what would become Splash Mountain. And I had two immediate thoughts. The first was, wow, this looks so, I mean, I am the Claude Coates kind of guy. You, you got the Mark Davis kind of, let's talk about story, let's talk about character, let's talk about character development. And then you have the Claude Coates kind of person who thinks about how layout occurs and how you thematically detail something and and create that theming i am that guy i am fascinated by attractions like pirates of the caribbean it's probably why it's my favorite attraction because of its thematic flow and layout which was by the way done by claude coates i saw this and i said wow and by the way tony was um uh, a protege of um of claude coates I saw this and I said, wow, this is going to be incredible. I'm a little scared about that flume, but it looks so cool. And it's going to use the song Zippity Doodah. And frankly, I love that song. It's the best part of the whole attraction. That was my first thought. My second thought was, okay, so this is based on Song of the South? Now, I had seen the movie and seen the movie in the theaters, probably the last generation to see it, as I mentioned in the previous podcast. But I'm sitting there going, um, okay, how are you going to work that out? Because, you know, it's the 1970s. And I don't know if that's, and the word politically correct hadn't come out. 
but I could just tell, I just don't think that's quite right. In the end, as I studied it further and as I finally experienced it, I thought, okay, I liked it. Um, I liked it and, and they kind of, you know, kind of got around some of the problems of the plot line. Uh, the bear gets stuck in honey instead of tar and the whole Uncle Remus is re-represented by a different storyteller who's a frog for a frog. And you just kind of look at it and go, this works. And Symphony Dudas at the end, the whole thing goes crazy. And I loved American Sings. I was so disappointed that they lost that attraction. And here they are. They're all back. So I loved it. But I have to say, as I've reflected over the last couple of days, I do remember that moment originally thinking, uh, is this quite right? I think we've been sung a different song over the years and we've just come to accept it. But really, there was a problem. Now, again, thematically, this all works because it's hugged up next to New Orleans. So you're just kind of going down the south into the, you know, and it just works so beautifully. But, um, and, and they recalled the area, called the area now Critter Country. Uh, the Country Bear Jamboree was still there. Um, after all, the bears were critters too. And I think they thought that probably adding the flume ride would um, improve attendance. In fact, I think this is when Tom Morris created the additional cutouts and thematics of the waiting area, the lobby for, um, for um, uh, Country Bear Jamboree, because they probably had budget to do so during this whole retheming but also to get people to kind of wait and feel like they're, again, still in this kind of critter uh, themed. But the fact of the matter is, is, with all that said and done, it didn't improve attendance at the Country Bear Jamboree. Meanwhile, the pencil pushers are saying, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Let's take a look at our best-selling plush. Yeah, there's Mickey Mouse, but... But number two, in fact, it may have even been number one at the time, was Winnie the Pooh. Where's that attraction? Well, the answer to that at Magic Kingdom was to go take out Mr. Toad and put in the many adventures of Winnie the Pooh. And that started the Toad sit-in over there, Magic Kingdom. The answer at Disneyland was to go put it in place of Country Bear Jamboree. I think the attraction is actually better done at Disneyland, but let's not miss the point. Thematically, it isn't adding up. Yeah, yeah, Pooh is a critter, I guess, and it is critter country, but who are we kidding here? Who are we kidding? And by the way, it's not going to get better when you have the Princess Tiana thing, because what does Princess Tiana have to do with Winnie the Pooh? After all, Winnie the Pooh's 100-acre wood is really British countryside. Um, but then again, for those of you who are purists, it's out of place in Fantasyland over at the Magic Kingdom. That doesn't belong in medieval England or, you know, medieval Europe at least. But then again, I have to also say, neither did Mr. Toad. I love Mr. Toad. I'm glad it's at least at Fantasyland. I go on it every time I'm at Disneyland and, and the Fantasyland there. But if you really think about that whole medieval village, what's a motor car doing amid stallions and, and it's just, it's a completely out of context. 
But we, you know, we accept it. We just kind of go with it. Oh yeah, it's it's a fantasy story, so we go, we go with that. So, so Disneyland puts in Splash Mountain. It's a huge success. Now I could have told people. I told people, hey, they got this mountain coming in called Splash Mountain, and it's based and it's a flume ride. It's going to drop all this, but it's also going to have this whole. I used to say it's not just a flume drop. There's a whole show behind this thing. People could have cared less. People could have cared less when I told them that in the in the 80s because um, they just didn't care. They just didn't care. They wanted, a, they wanted a thrill ride. Magic Mountain was down the street and it had all the thrill rides you could, you could ask for. And they just wanted another thrill ride. And a water flume ride? That sounds great. Give me the water flume ride. They'd care less. It took years for people to embrace this and most people had no idea what the story had to do with. Notwithstanding... Big success, so what do we do? Hey, we're going to put it in over at Walt Disney World. I've got an image of what that drawing is looking like. And it kind of looks like it kind of fits, but you know what? It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit in there. It's between Pecos Bills and Big Thunder Mountain, which are very Western-themed attractions. So why are we now complaining about Princess and the Frog when it's Splash Mountain never fit inside Magic Kingdom? Thematically, and by the way, if you take the art of the theme show, other than the Pennsylvania two-door, or no, it's not Pennsylvania. I think it's a upper, upper New York. You got the two-door mansion, but really, you kind of start with, with, um, with uh, the restaurant um, that isn't opening when Magic Kingdom reopens. Um, um, the Columbia. Harbor House, and you kind of start off in Maine, and then you kind of work yourself toward Virginia, where you get to um, Hall of Presidents, and then you work yourself to the Diamond Horseshoe, which kind of suggests Missouri, and in fact, the little tiny little river that kind of bisects at the Frontierland entrance is supposedly a thematic representation of the mighty Mississippi, Although the rivers of America do that too. But that's kind of the dividing line. And then you go into the frontier and you kind of move increasingly toward the southwest. Well, it just it never fit there. Imagineers knew that too. In fact, they said this in the um, Magic Kingdom Imagineering Field Guide, which is complimentary if you go do this. Well, not complimentary, but it will be for the winner of our sweepstakes uh, if you take our survey. But Imagineers, Imagineers knew that Splash Mountain was not a right fit in Magic Kingdom, but they made the best of it. The color palette of Splash Mountain mud banks was shifted from the earthly brown that was at Disneyland um, that would have been correct for the Deep South, and they moved it toward a stronger magenta shade that would work better next to the Western rock work of Big Thunder Mountain. So all of these things really honestly have never quite added up. And if I can just say one more thing about, well, I'm gonna go on several things, but while we're in Frontierland, let me just mention one thing that does not thematically quite add up. Steamboats. They first arrived in the 1700s, but they didn't look anything like the Liberty Bell, which is considered more, quote unquote, a riverboat, not a steamboat, although it works off steam. Those riverboats line up well around Mark Twain's beloved Mississippi 
in the foreground of Tom Sawyer's Island. So that works, but it's a complete miss when it's docked in a colonial setting like Liberty Square, which probably should have had a ship more like the Columbia. At least they should have had one, each of one run at Disneyland. You know, at Disneyland you have the Mark Twain riverboat, but you also have the Columbia sailing ship. But no, what did they do at Walt Disney World? They were more concerned, not about the theme, theming. They were more concerned about efficiency and handling crowds. So what did they do? They built not one riverboat, they built two. One was like the Mark Twain and it had two stacks. It was called the Joe Fowler. And then uh, the other was the Richard Irvine, which is the one stack that lasts today. It remains today and has been since renamed the Liberty Bell because nobody knows what who Richard Irvine is, a, a solid Imagineer, along with Joe Fowler, who was a solid operator of the parks. The two stack one they used to run at Walt Disney World was irreversibly damaged when it went through dry dock repair and never came back out again. And so that's why you don't see it anymore. But but really, when you head toward Liberty Square and you see, you know, the carrot at the end of the street or the weenie, as Walt put it, at the end is, is the riverboat landing. And what do you have? You have... Uh, you have something that looks like it belongs in Showboat. And so thematically, it doesn't really quite work in Liberty Square. But we put it in there and everybody's accepted it for how many years? 50, to be, to be exact. Nobody's made, I've yet to read anybody make a complaint about that riverboat sitting there at Liberty Square. When in reality, that was a, that was something you didn't see until well into the 1800s. Some suggest that rather than uh, re-theming it to Princess and the Frog, um, that you should just put a new ride somewhere else of Princess and the Frog and then take the politically incorrect Splash Mountain and replace it with something else. So what do they want to replace it with? I've heard actually several say, why don't we go put Western River Expedition? Now, if you're not familiar, this was the intent of what was going into that whole area from Splash Mountain to Big Thunder Mountain. It was going to be part train and part um, river uh, boat attraction similar to Pirates. In fact, Pirates was not even planned because they were going to do this big Western River expedition. Well, there's a number of reasons why that didn't happen. Guests complained that there were no pirates. What happened to pirates? I thought we were going to have pirates. No pirates. So it was cheaper to put in pirates, but they still promised Western River Expedition. But honestly, one of the big things that kind of put the nail in the coffin of Western River was that Mark Davis, who's so creative, but he, draw, he drew a bunch of caricatures of Native Americans with a seminal scene from that attraction being a rain dance of the Indians on top of the plateau. In fact, the rain dance is shown, you have to see the image in the show notes, but the image shows the rain just pouring on top of that small plateau on top of the Indians and not anywhere else. It's kind of humorous, but at the same time, as the country was rolling through the 70s at that era, messages from books and films like Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee made that whole thing not look quite right. Um, it is probably out of saying, you know, that whole Indian thing isn't really politically correct that made Splash Mountain stick. <laughs> um, since they were at least able to say, well, we're not going to portray blacks in that. We're just going to portray a bunch of animals. So it was kind of 
which one's the best uh, or the, the, the least in terms of being offensive. And so Splash Mountain won the day and Western River became just one of those attractions that, that became history. By the way, other old timers, and I gotta say, I could be in this category. Other old timers suggest the characters from Splash Mountain be returned to America Sings and be and have that attraction rebuilt, which never has had a good attraction. It was an intervention for years in Tomorrowland. But let me just say, again, in terms of putting the right theme in the right place, a show that was an historic romp through the South, through the West, through the gay 90s, and through urban today of 70s, or was never really a right fit for the world on on the move like Tomorrowland. It always seemed out of place in Tomorrowland, even though it was a great show. It was amazing. I love this attraction, but really, if I were to kind of pull that scene up, that show apart, I don't think there was a segment of that show that didn't have a town drunk in the thing. I mean, <laughs> they all needed to be going to some 12-step program because they were all a bunch of drunkies. <laughs> So, and there were other problems in it. Um, so probably by today's standards, there's probably not a lot there in America sayings that, that wasn't politically incorrect uh, now that we look at it. Now, it is easy to look at the past and say, my, where were these people? Where are they thinking? How could they be so insensitive? But you know what? And heaven knows we want our thematic details to be perfect. But we have a long history of putting riverboats in colonial America and shows about the history of American music in the future of Tomorrowland. We've been doing things that are, and, and Mr. Toad in the middle of Fantasyland or Winnie the Pooh in the middle. Of, uh, you know, we've been doing these things that don't quite make sense for a long time. And yet we just kind of come to accept it. The Imagineers make the best of it. We just kind of go on to it. Everybody gives it their best try. But... Sometimes we fail to be sensitive to issues of the times or to issues that other people not represented. That's why representation, that's why it's so important to have a diverse workforce. Because when you have that representation and somebody says, hey, wait a minute, I don't, I don't know that that's going to quite work. Um, but let's not just point the finger at the past. We still have those same problems. And I could do a whole show talking about things that mm, aren't quite politically correct. Let's take one example right now. Remember I talked about uh, Mama Don't Walk, Little Buford, you ought to shoot him instead? Well, I love the brand new Mickey and Minnie Runaway Railway. So cool on many levels. Yes, I miss the, the great movie ride. But, um, and by the way, Sharita, who is producing this new overlay of Princess and the Frog, at Splash Mountain, helped produce this along with um, Imagineering veteran Kevin Rafferty. But when you go into the pre-show, and I show a picture and the scene from it in the show notes, you gotta look at this to see this. You get this very strange moment in the cartoon pre-show where they're saying, nothing could stop us now, da 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 you know, and everybody's happening, and they're on their way to a picnic, they're packing the car, Minnie's got the picnic basket, she throws it into the trunk, and then she kicks Pluto and throws him in the trunk too, and the next thing you know, Pluto's stuck inside the trunk. 
I have to tell you, when I saw this with my daughter, Madison, I'm not a bad person, but my daughter loves her dog. <laughs> when this scene came up and when Minnie does this kick of Pluto into the trunk, which is kind of caricature and kind of slapstick, you know, but I, and so I kind of get slapstick. It's kind of the intent of that design of Mickey and Minnie and those cartoons. But when that moment happened, <coughs> my daughter gave me the strangest look ever. It's like, what the heck just happened there? And it plays out a little bit as they bump over the railroad track and the tr trunk flies open. But I got to honestly, if you play it several times, it still doesn't make any sense why you had to throw Pluto in the back of the trunk. And much less kick him there. If he accidentally ended up there, that'd be one thing. But kick him into the trunk? I'm just saying, look, even on our newest, greatest, most fun attractions, we just may miss a couple of moments where we're a little insensitive, even though we're just trying to have a little fun and humor at the heart of it. In truth, in my business, and this is probably why it ought to be a Disney at Work podcast, the, the two programs, I teach a lot of programs, programs on leadership and on customer service, engaging their people, dealing with change and so forth. But in my business, there are two programs that I teach that should be the most sought out after from any organization, public, private, nonprofit. I see this theme come up all the time. And the first is how to learn from your mistakes or how to not make mistakes in the first place. And second, how to understand and forgive others. What I'm trying to say is that we are evolving and hopefully improving, which by the way, if you go back up to Carmen's quote, she says that because we consider ourselves constant learners, we go to great lengths to research and engage and so forth. That's the proactive way to make sure you got it right instead of fixing it afterwards. These things are too expensive to fix afterwards. But at any rate, what I'm saying is, is we're evolving and hopefully improving. While we need to stand up for what is right and just, we still also just simply need to be more sensitive of others. And we need to give people the space to learn the lessons they need to in life when they haven't quite learned to be more sensitive and more understanding and more caring. Walt said it best when he said, quote, Disneyland will never be completed as long as we have some lessons to learn. Uh, well, maybe, maybe it wasn't quite said that way. But beyond creativity and imagination, we need understanding and empathy. And as long as we're still learning that, Disneyland will never be completed. Speaking of empathy and understanding, may I just suggest two really good podcasts if you haven't listened to them. When we covered Disney's Animal Kingdom, we had a Disney at Work podcast called Without Empathy, It's a Jungle Out There at Disney's Animal Kingdom. It really deals with some stories about autism, but it's set in the context of the Black Lives Matter movement. And it's just simply about how could we be a little bit more empathic? May I suggest that's a really good one to listen to. Can I also suggest Your American Adventure Part 1, also found on Disney at Work, and we'll have these 
links in our show notes. This, uh, I love that we're, I've said it several times, I love that we're adding Princess and the Frog. But if you really want a hero for a story, you don't need to go to a princess. You need to go to some of the amazing and great heroes of our own history. When you think about the experiences of an abolitionist like Frederick Douglass and of others who paid the price to create a better world for us to all live in, I'm just saying these are really good ways to maybe think and understand and learn a little bit more. Because, as Walt said, Disneyland will never be completed as long as we have some lessons to learn. Hey, thanks for joining us today. We appreciate you being part of this post and podcast. Please keep joining us. And, uh, and again, in the words of Sinbad's storybook voyage, always follow the compass of your heart. Have a great day. We'll see you real soon.